RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. And when, when you started the foot chase, at what point did you pull the taser out and or have the thought of trying to tase him to stop him? Honestly, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, and I don't want to misspeak. Okay. Um, I just know it, it was away from our vehicles. It was to- more towards the, uh, the silver vehicle. Um, and, I mean, that, that's all I can really recall about where, where and when. I mean, I know I put it up when I saw the pistol come out and his hand go for that pistol. And at that point, that, that's when I, you know, he had a lethal threat on me, and I, I, I immediately went up the, the, the use of force continuum in accordance with what he was doing. I didn't draw my pistol first. He, he reached for his. Hey, good evening, and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Of course, you're listening right here on RadioInfluence.com. As you do each and every Tuesday night, I just played a very uh, crucial sound bite from a shooting that took place this past February that I actually have some personal interest in because I have personal involvement not only in the city, but in the actual projects where that shooting occurred. And I'm going to talk about that here. I've talked about this case on Beyond the Batch before, but the district attorney has decided not to press charges. Again, the shooting happened uh, back in February in the city of Nashville. I'm going to dive into that. I'm going to dive into what this officer said in his statement, the witness statements. I know last week we talked about the uh, DOJ not charging the officers in the death of Alton Sterling. This case is very similar. I, I drew a lot of heat, a lot of Twitter hate uh, based on what I had to say about Alton Sterling. I'm probably going to get the same Twitter hate about this case, but as they say, it is what it is. But first, I want to say I hope every mother had a very happy and blessed Mother's Day this past weekend. It was your day. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I did call my mother. I didn't get a chance to get down to South Carolina, but I called my mother first thing uh, Sunday morning after I woke up. And, uh, you know, I, I basically told her something I've never told her before. And I, I thanked her for molding me into the man I am today. And you know, I say that and a lot of people say, well, didn't you have your, your dad in your life? Well, I did, but my dad was in the military. He was out serving the country. He was deployed a lot. He was in Korea a lot. My mom sacrificed her life for my brother and I. And when I say she sacrificed her life, I mean she sacrificed her life. She didn't work. She stayed home. She made sure we were taken care of. She was never the mother like you see nowadays that wants to go out to the club, hang out with their girls, get turn up as the kids say. She was a true mother, and I, I thank her for molding me into the man that I am today. I owe everything. I owe the world to my mother. I love her so much. Now, it's also police week. It kicked off this past Sunday as well, and it's a weekly event that's held Every year, and I want to take this opportunity to thank my brothers and sisters in blue. I want to thank those that served in blue, like myself, that are no longer in the job, but had the guts, the integrity to serve their community as a police officer. You know, I was watching, I was listening to something on uh, Sirius Radio, 
and they were talking about the city of Chicago, and they were talking about how many officers had been shot at just this year, not alone, not counting last year, just this year, and the numbers were astronomical, and I thought to myself, wow, you don't really hear that when you're talking about the city of Chicago, but God forbid that some thug is shot by police, and that police officer happens to be white, then it's all over the news, there's riots, there's protests, there's new t-shirts, there's rest in peace, there's all of this, but when you have brothers and sisters in blue going out every day in a lot of cities for chump change, chump change in a lot of cities, but they still go out and protect and serve, those are the people we should protest about. Those are the people we should make t-shirts about. But I honor my brothers and sisters in blue this police week. If you see a police officer, go up to thank him or her. Go up and say how much you appreciate them, how much you love them, how much you don't take them for granted because they are there to protect and serve. They may just save your life one day. You never know. Now, let's get to it. So I, I played a soundbite at the beginning of, of the show here. It was about a 30-second soundbite, and it was regarding the shooting uh, of Jaquez Clemens in Nashville, Tennessee, by Officer Leopard, who was a East Precinct police officer, a flex unit. Uh, but before I dive deep into that, I want to read something here from a, a uh, police report. And it says, Officer observed suspect drive across Shelby Street from South 19th. Suspect did not completely stop at the stop sign and proceeded across Shelby back on the South 19th Street. Officer got behind the vehicle and then ran the license plate. The owner of the vehicle was showing to have an outstanding warrant. Officer attempted to stop the vehicle using his blue lights. The suspect fled from the officer in his vehicle while in a residential area. The officer then turned on his siren to make his intentions known to the suspect. The suspect did not stop at two stop signs and did not attempt to slow down for any oncoming traffic. The suspect bailed out of the vehicle and fled on foot near South 18th and Shelby. Now, what you just read was an actual police affidavit that I wrote up when I was patrolling in Nashville. And one of the areas I patrolled was James Casey Holmes, which runs off of 5th and Shelby. Now, where I stopped this individual, well, eventually caught him after he bailed out of the vehicle and ran on foot, was not too far from James Casey Holmes. And how did this entire thing initiate? By a traffic stop. Now, let's go back to this shooting that happened February 10th of this year in Nashville, where Officer Leopard was just cleared of the charges. How did it start? The exact same way. He was parked. Officer Leopard was parked. Near South 6, he observed the vehicle, rolled through the stop sign, and guess what he did? He, as a police officer who had just saw a moving violation, decided, hey, I should stop this car because they have just committed a moving violation. They blew through the stop sign. And classic to anyone that's been in patrol, as soon as the officer gets behind him, the car parks. Like the song says, park it like it's hot. Snoop rapped about it because it's actuality. People park it like it's hot when they see the police. So he gets behind the car, activates his blue lights. The individual in the car, Mr. Clement, gets out. The officer says, hey, why don't you get back in your car? Because 
We don't want people approaching us because that's the kill zone, right? So instead of getting back in his car, what does Mr. Clemens do? He runs. Sounds a lot like my traffic stop. The guy got out of the car. He bailed out. He ran. So already this officer is thinking, what the heck's going on? But if you listen to his entire interview, which I will have on my Twitter, Vincent Hill TV on Twitter, he said the very first thing that Mr. Clemens did when he got out of the car was adjust something in his waistband, a large object. So as a police officer, let's take the white police officer out of this. As a police officer, when you see someone reach towards their waistband and adjust a large object. Now, what's that old saying? Is that you or are you just happy to see me? Well, let's be honest. He wasn't grabbing for his male parts. And most police officers assume that when someone's reaching in their waistband, moving a large object, that it's probably a gun. So he's already thinking, okay, this guy got out of his car. He's reaching for his waistband. Could be a gun. Now he's running. So guess what? You're a bad guy. You run from me. I'm the police. What do you think my instinct and my training are going to make me do? They're going to make me run after you. So there's running, there's chasing, your adrenaline's going up, and then boom, there's a short scuffle. And during this scuffle, and again, listen to the entire interview, during this scuffle, a gun falls out. Not your gun, but the suspect's gun. But let's let's back up just a little bit. You heard the officer say, I had my taser out. I didn't reach for my gun until he reached for his. So the gun falls out. Officer Clemens, in his statement that's recorded and videoed, audio and video, says, I attempted to kick the gun, but the distance between he and I wouldn't allow me for it. So therefore, he was able to pick the gun back up with his right hand. And he takes off running again. And he said the look in his eye was he was going to kill me. So as he's running, Mr. Clemens, the officer says, oh, he started to make a turning movement and I can see the barrel of the gun. That's when I fired three shots. And he was asked by the homicide investigator, Detective Satterfield, why would you fire three shots? And he said, just like he's trained to do, I fired until the threat stopped. He said, once I saw that he was down, I didn't fire any more shots because I could tell he was not a threat. This is what he says in his statement. So let's look at the racial aspect of it. Mm, mm, I'm still thinking. I'm thinking it's going to come to me. It's going to come to me. I know how I'm going to make this racial. Uh, You know what? At this point, I can't make it racial. Because this went from Mr. Clemens jumping out of his car to the officer seeing him move something in his waistband, which probably was a gun, which ended up being a gun. All of this happened in 45 to 50 seconds. So at what point did this officer say, well, this is a racial stop? No, what he saw was a traffic stop from a movie violation. Then he saw an individual reaching his waistband, then he saw that individual run, and then he saw that individual drop a gun. So would it have been right for him to say, well, since he's black, and although he's got this gun and he's turning towards me, I can see the barrel of it, and let's not get fooled that 
You can't shoot while on the run. Police trained to do it. You don't think bad guys trained to do it? So, okay, he's black. He's got a gun. He's turning towards me, but I shouldn't shoot him because he's black. And if I shoot him, I'm going to be a racist. I'll be a dead racist, right? But if I shoot him, I'm going to be a racist. What sense does that make? I've said it time and time again. If you're an average citizen, guess what? You have the right to do to defend yourself against imminent bodily injury or death. So does the police officer not have the same right to do that? Oh, I can see Chief Anderson right now going to Officer Leopard's family. Well, he died a good man. He died a racist cop, but he died a good man. Because he didn't want to shoot the black guy because he knew he would be called a racist cop. No, it doesn't work that way. Now let's go over some cold hard facts. And I've read this manual because I had to. So MNPD manual 11.10, the use of force. Section 11.10.120, use of deadly force in self-defense. And it reads... Authorized employees, I would say he was authorized, he was on duty, in a uniform, may use deadly force when they have a reasonable belief, reasonable belief that the action is immediately necessary to prevent imminent death. Uh-oh, sounds like something I've said a bunch of times. Imminent death or serious bodily injury of a human, human being. Get this, get this, get this, including the employee. Now, it doesn't put a race cap on including the employee. It just says employee. So it doesn't say if you're white and the individual with the gun is black, don't shoot them. It doesn't say if you're Hispanic and the individual with the gun is black, don't shoot them. It says including the employee. That's by the book. The officer in this case did exactly what is by the book in the use of force policy for that department. And you heard he mentioned the use of force continuum. How many times have I said those three words on this show? And I've also said the officer reacts with the amount of force that the suspect makes the officer react with, right? He says, Officer Leppard says, Lippert says, I didn't go for my gun till he went for his. He had his taser out. So if he was this racist officer that had the intentions of killing this black man, don't you think the very first thing he would have done was grab his gun and start shooting? This is even after he said he saw him go for his waistband and move a large object. He's still saying, maybe I can tase this guy and get control of the suspect using the amount of force necessary to affect my arrest. But since he escalated it, just like the officer said, the minute he saw that gun, he escalated it to deadly force. Clemens escalated it to deadly force, not the officer. So he was right in reholstering his taser and going for his gun. Now, here's where it gets tricky because <laughs> people always say, well, he got shot in the back. But remember the whole fleeing felon thing? And remember the whole, let's say this bullet flies while he's trying to shoot at Officer Leopard and hits the little kid across the street. Officer Leopard still has a duty to protect and serve that community. At this point, he's chasing a guy armed with a gun, presumably, assumingly a loaded gun, right? So why then would he let this guy just get away? 
because of the color of his skin? That is asinine. So in his recorded interview, you can hear the officer who had my old call sign to Frank 13. That's why I say I got a personal interest in this case. You can hear in his recorded interview, he says, hey, I gave several commands. Stop, police. Show me your hands. All of the stuff that police are trained to do. Right. But I'm sure there's still people out there that says, oh, well, they're just going to protect their own. They really didn't do an investigation. Yada, yada, yada. Well, they did. Uh, One of the detectives, Danny Satterfield and Matt Filter, who I've actually had the privilege of writing with a few times, actually did conduct an interview with a witness that lived in the housing project. And she stated, which pretty much matches what the officer said, she was going to her car, she got in her car, she started her car and noticed two people run behind the car because the officer says, we were running behind cars. <laughs> this is what he says. She saw them in her rearview mirror. At first, she thought it was just two kids playing until she turned around to check behind her before she pulled out and saw it was an officer and a man. She saw the officer throw the man to the ground. Well, even then, that use of force was justified. He's evading arrest. He's resisting. Yeah, you can throw him to the ground. That is a justifiable tactic in the use of force, right? So, she says she heard, even with her windows up, Officer Lippert shouting commands to Mr. Clemens to stop and put his hands up several times. But again, he's a racist white officer that just wanted to kill somebody. But even though he's doing everything by the book, she stated she observed Mr. Clemens resisting Officer Lippert. What? What? You mean the good guy that's never done anything to anybody was resisting the police officer? What? Mr. Clemens got back up and proceeded to run in the opposite direction. What? He was running again? Get out of here. That doesn't happen. This was just the white racist officer that wanted to kill a black man. Mr. Clemens somehow stumbled and, of course, her name is redacted, saw his gun fall. Now, this is a witness, independent from what Officer Lippert is saying. This is a witness. She saw his gun fall to the ground. Hmm. She was not sure where it fell from and could not recall what he was wearing. Who cares? She said the gun was silver and black. Hmm. Same thing that Officer Lippert said. A silver gun. Now, this is an independent witness. After the gun fell, here's where it gets important. Because it matches exactly what the officer said. He didn't try to lie because this individual would have no benefit in validating his story and if he was this racist cop and he did lie she would have contradicted this so she says after the gun fell she observed officer Lippert try to kick the gun but Mr. Clemens was still able to reach down from a standing position and get a hold of the gun now he said the distance that he had between him and Clemens wouldn't allow him to kick it in time well if you know this guy's got a gun You don't want to get right in his face, right? Hmm. Because if he's got one gun, he may have two. Or he may punch you real quick, grab the gun, and shoot you. You don't want to get too close. 
Wow. So what the officer said is exactly what this witness says. Hmm. She says she saw Mr. Clemens put the gun in his pocket, but she was unsure which pocket and was uh, he was able to continue to run. Officer Lippert again told him to stop and put his hands up, but Mr. Clemens didn't. And within five seconds, she heard three shots. She did not see the actual shooting. So she didn't see what Officer Cl uh, Lippert saw where Mr. Clemens was turning with the gun. Now, just because he put it in his pocket or according to her, he put it in his pocket. She didn't see the actual shooting, so she doesn't know if he actually turned. Like Officer Lippert said, but she con she validated everything he said. He tried to kick the gun. They were running behind the vehicles. He was resisting. He was giving commands. Everything that the officer was trained to do, was taught to do, and let's be honest, <laughs> at some point, he didn't have to do that. Because once that gun is in play, all bets really are off. The minute he touched that gun, Mr. Clemens, he could have shot him then. Think about it and let that sink in. The minute Mr. Clemens put his hand on that gun, Officer Lippert could have used deadly force in that instance. But what did this white racist officer do? He allowed Mr. Clemens to continue to run because he was going to, because contrary to what you believe, police don't want to just go around killing people. He was going to try to apprehend this individual. Wait a minute. That's impossible to apprehend an, an individual with a gun, right? No, because Lippert says he's, he's done it several times. Heck, I did it several times. Apprehended someone with a gun and I knew they had a gun on them. <laughs> Remember, I told you about the kid I chased not too far from James Casey Holmes that had a Tech 9 pistol on him. But I apprehended him without him shooting me or me shooting him. So, yeah, it happens. But we don't know what happened in those few seconds where this witness couldn't see. Obviously, there was something there to make Mr. Officer Lippert think that Mr. Clemens was going to, going to shoot him. Because otherwise, he could have shot him right when he touched that gun. The second he put his hand on that gun, the officer could have pulled the trigger, but he didn't. So again, where's the racism? Hold on. Let me think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got nothing. It's not there. It's not there from the start of this to the end of it in the 45 to 50 seconds that it took. There was no racism there. Let's look more at this racist white cop, right? So now this is coming from the official Nashville Police Report, the homicide detectives. When asked why didn't he tase him, he stated he tried to use the minimum force necessary to effect the arrest. The minimum force necessary. Now the guy's fled from you. You think he's armed. He's resisted you. You struggled with him on the ground. You could tase him, but you still want to use the minimum force necessary. So why is this guy a racist officer? Hmm. Think about it. You got anything yet? I got nothing. Now let's dive a little deeper because I'm still trying to get this whole racial angle.
Because I know there's some people that would say, oh, they made it up. He didn't really run the stop sign. Well, guess where he is? He's in the projects. Guess what they have in the projects in Nashville? They have surveillance cameras. And guess what the surveillance camera caught? Mr. Clemmings failing to stop at the stop sign at South 6th Street in Summer Place, just like Officer Lippert said. So, again, this whole thing, this whole 45-50 second thing took place all because of a traffic stop. It had nothing to do with race. It just happened to be that Officer Lippert, who was assigned as 2 Frank 13, my old call sign, 2 being East Precinct, James Casey Holmes being in the East Precinct, a flex unit being a specialized unit, he just happened to be there when Mr. Clemens decided to blow through the stop sign. Just like I just happened to be there in the report I read you at the top of the show. I just happened to be at 18th and Shelby when this individual decided to blow through a stop sign that led to a vehicle chase, that led to a foot chase. I just happened to be there. I didn't say, oh, there's a black guy. I'm going to pull him over. Just like Officer Lippert didn't say, oh, there's a black guy. I'm going to make up a bullcrap story that he ran the stop sign. Everything the officer said since day one has been validated, either through surveillance video or eyewitnesses. So where is the racism? Did you spot it yet? Mm, nope, I didn't spot it yet either. And look, let's cut to the chase. Just like I said in Alton Sterling. Alton Sterling got himself killed. Mr. Clemens got himself killed. The minute you bring a gun to a gunfight with trained police officers, what do you think their reaction is going to be? The minute you bring deadly force to a confrontation with police, what do you think their action is going to be? It's going to be deadly force. And the officer said, Officer Lippert said, hey, I didn't pull my gun till he pulled his. The gun's on the ground. Clemens goes to reach for it. Guess what Officer Lippert does? He reaches for his gun because now it's a deadly force situation. Do you think Officer Lippert would have reacted different if the guy was white? Oh, there's some people I'm sure that would say, yeah, he would have acted different. He would, he would have survived. He would have survived. But remember, I've done a show about the stats and how many more white people were shot by police than black people. And guess what? The only color that officer saw on that day was the silver and black revolver. The same silver and black revolver the witness says she saw. That is the only color that mattered. Because it was silver, it was black. Oh, there's the racism. Oh, shoot, I found the racism. His gun had black in it. Therefore, this whole thing is racist. That's what it is. His gun had a black handle. Now it's racist. Ah, I got it. But, nah, that's bullcrap. What it was, a three fifty-seven silver revolver with five bullets in it. Five that could have entered that officer's body. Oh, what do you think? People don't shoot police? Really? What society are we living in? 
where it's okay for the bad guy to do wrong. And when the police officer is doing right and saving his life, then it's a problem. Then it's racial. And the first thing that this racist officer did after he shot this man was attempt to render aid and comfort him saying, hey, hang in there, which is validated by other witnesses. And he said, start me a 47. Tell him to step it up. And for those that don't know what it is, a 47 in Nashville terms is start me an ambulance and step it up means get here pretty darn quick. The stuff has hit the fan. So you go from wanting to use the minimum amount of force necessary to affect the arrest. Having every opportunity to shoot this guy before you shot him. You make sure he's okay. You ask for an ambulance. You go from all of that to being this racist cop. But based on the evidence, the law, the policies, this case, just like Many, many, many other cases we've discussed on this show were never about race. It was about circumstance. It wasn't racial. It was circumstantial. The circumstances of the case led to what happened. The circumstance that Mr. Clemens was armed with a gun led to his death. That's it. Had nothing to do with Lippert being white had nothing to do with Clemens being black. Because I said this last week about Alton Sterling, given the facts of the case, and being in that situation, I can't say I would have acted any differently than Officer Lippert did back on February 10th of 2017. That's just the nature of the game. If I think my life is in danger, and as a U.S. citizen I have the right to protect myself, And as a police officer, I'm sworn to protect the community and my department policy says I can also protect myself. Remember that whole U.S. citizen, right? That I can protect myself against imminent threat of bodily injury or death. I may have acted the same way. Hey, we're out of time. That's my show for tonight. I want to thank you for listening, as you always do. I appreciate you. I appreciate your love and support. And I want to jump right into my 10-7 segment And instead of calling out a name tonight in honor of Police Week, I want to just honor all 48 officers killed this year in the line of duty in 2017. 48 officers killed in the line of duty by one way or another in 2017. And again, I thank my brothers and sisters in blue for serving and protecting. Enjoy your Police Week. This is your week. Go out again. Tell a police officer you appreciate them. Tell them you respect them, you respect them, and just thank them for their service. I want to thank you for listening, as you always do. I will see you next week right here, RadioInfluence.com. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. My boy Putin, uh, who's sitting back and uh, running the world, by the way. Uh, that's a strong SOB. 
uh, my boy Putin, he was on a hockey rink in Russia playing hockey. And as he came off the ice, a couple uh, reporters came up to him and said, uh, did you hear about the new the news? And he knew nothing about it. He played dumb. And I guess his team won 17 to 7. And Putin scored seven goals. So to me, that's like when Obama played basketball that time. You going to foul Putin? I, I'm listen. I'm I was a foulness cat back in the day. Well, I'll put someone on the ground. I'm not putting Putin on the ground. He can do whatever he wants around me. He could do you know his Euro step. I'm not doing. I'm not messing with Putin on the ice. I'm not touching him uh, because if you read it, read up on some stuff. Anybody that speaks uh, against him, they fall out of balcony. Uh, you know, four story balconies accidentally. You can find Ian Beckles Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.